Hey, what's up, everybody? How you doing? All right, let me show you a picture right here. This is, uh, that's actually me. Uh, almost uh, three years ago, that is right before I went to, into the delivery room where my wife was giving birth to my daughter, Mia. And uh, I actually showed my daughter this picture the other day. Uh, or I showed it to her last night before dinner. And she said, Papi, you're a great doctor. And then uh, my wife was making dinner and she said, and Mommy is a great cooker. So we we're both great. But here's what happened is that uh, some friends of ours were there, too, at that time when we were uh, going to take Carrie in. And I was ready because I was going to be there as well. And um, she, one of our friends, she said to me, she said, Bob, you're going to be a dad. How do you feel? And I thought for a second and I said, um, I feel like throwing up. Is that normal? And, uh, and, and I, honestly, that was the truth. I mean, I felt like I was going to puke right there. And here's the thing, the part of the, thing, the reason was that, that I was so nervous about becoming a dad was because I just knew that being a dad is such an incredible responsibility. And I thought, like, am I responsible enough to have a baby, you know? Because here's my thing, is that, like, when I was a kid, I had uh, Star Wars action figures, and I would lose them. And kids aren't that much bigger than action figures. And I thought, if I can't even, like, hang on to Darth Vader... Can I, you know, make sure that, like, she's there, you know, like, our kids are there. So, um, anyway, so I was, uh, I was very nervous, and we were there in the hospital for a couple of days, and um, then we, we brought uh, my daughter Mia home, and, uh, I mean, we were still, my wife and I are still so nervous, you know, we have been married for 10 years, and prayed that God would give us a baby, and so God um, gave us this incredibly beautiful little girl, and uh, we brought her home, and then, um, you know, when, when you're in the hospital, you know, you've all got like the same number of the little, you know, bracelet that they put on you to make sure that you're really mom, you're really dad and all that. And so um, Mia had one on her uh, hand and on her leg. And so what happened was we got home and they had taken them off, but they didn't take the one off on, on her, her ankle. So we said, oh, let me, let's, let's do it. And so um, Carrie says, um, you know, Bob, you hold Mia and I'll cut this, this little bracelet thing. And I said, okay. And so we were so careful because, you know, I mean, this is a newborn and a giant pair of scissors and who knows what could happen. And so um, we're so careful because we don't want to cut her. And so we cut the thing off. But we didn't realize is that as we were, you know, closing the scissors, we like clipped her like the back. We like hit her foot um, like nothing fell off or anything. But because um, I see people like, oh, oh, Lord, you know, but, you know, so we just like squeezed her with the back of it. She started crying and I turned to Carrie and I'm like. I don't know if we're responsible enough to have kids, you know. And, and so, you know, and she starts, she, Mia starts crying, Carrie starts crying, I start crying, and I say, are we ready for this, you know. And, and, uh, and, I'm, and here's what I'm thankful for is that that was three years ago, or going to be three years ago. My daughter's almost three. My son is four months old today. And, uh, you know, I can tell you this, that being a dad has been uh, one of the most uh, rewarding experiences in my life. I think God has shown me so much. He's shown me. Um, really, you know, how to love someone else unconditionally. Um, he's, I, I think it's totally changed the nature of my relationship with God and really understanding how God deals with me as I understand how I deal with, with my kids. But um, here's the interesting thing about parenting, or maybe the odd part if you're a parent here. And can I ask how many of your parents uh, in this room? All right, several of you. Those of you that aren't, just hang with me here for a little bit. Um, here's what happens. But here's the odd part of parenting is that there's just so many theories out there, isn't it? Like, I read a book, it tells me to do something. You read a book, it tells you to do the opposite. 
and then some, you know, someone you know reads a book, and it's like a totally different thing other than the other two things that we read. And, uh, and, and here's what I think happens is, and then we get advice from people that it's like, where did that come from? You know, because it's in none of the 18 books that I read, but you've just got a theory. And so there's all this stuff, and it's like there's no wonder that parents are confused and that parenting becomes somewhat uh, of a difficult thing. And uh, people ask me, they say, you know, Bob, what's kind of your, your philosophy on parenting? You know, uh, because I've been doing it for so long now, three years. Um, and, and so they say, what's your parenting? And I say, you know, it's really simple. One is I try to stay as close to the Bible as I can, you know, in everything that I do. The other thing is, is that when I run into a situation, I think, what would my parents do? And then I do the opposite of that. And that's pretty much my philosophy. Um, I, I'm kidding. But, uh, but here's the thing. And this is why I think there's, um, there's so much confusion. I think one of the reasons there's so much confusion about parenting is because we're un- a bit unclear as to what the goal and the role of parents is and what the goal of parenting is because sometimes we're under this idea that the goal of parenting is to make sure that kids have fun or we think that the goal of parenting is to make sure that they eat they learn to eat every type of food because that's extremely important apparently um, or it's to spoil them with stuff especially if we grew up with a little we're trying to give them everything plus more that we didn't have and we think that's the goal of parenting but i, I want to tell you that that according to the bible uh, is not the goal of parenting, and I have that as a fill-in for you. And I want you to write this down. That here's, and this is what we're going to spend our time talking about and kind of unpacking this idea. That here is the goal of parenting: is to make children wise. Is to make children wise. And sometimes, you know, I, I'll share that, and, and a parent will say to me, "Well, shouldn't it be to make children love Jesus? You know, you're a pastor. Shouldn't that be the goal?" Well, I'm going to tell you two things. First of all, um, I don't know. Have you ever tried to make someone love someone else? That's like really difficult. I would actually say impossible to make someone love someone else. But the other thing is this, is that if a child truly is wise, according to uh, what the Bible has to say, their love for God will simply be an outflow of that. In, in, in uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10, it's in the notes that we gave you. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And by the way, let me say this, because those of you that aren't parents, you're saying, man, I picked the wrong Sunday to be here. I should be at the NASCAR race uh, because that's the exciting thing. Look, there's the cars. All right. What do we do now? I just watch. Hey, there they are again. OK, um, but here's the deal. This is important because the thing that's important for us to note is, is that the same way that God calls parents to parent their kids is the same way that God as a heavenly father is parenting you and me. You see, and, and, and this is what's so important. This is how we understand what it is that God's doing, the goal that God has for us, for us to grow in wisdom, to grow in understanding. You see, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 would write these words. He would say, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are uh, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, according to that verse, that Jesus Christ himself is the fullness of God's wisdom. And that's why the Bible repeatedly encourages us to walk like Jesus. Why? Because that is wisdom, is walking like, acting like, speaking like, thinking like, and operating like Jesus would. But see, I want to spend our time today talking to parents about how to raise wise children. But once again, the issue is not for the non-parents. Uh, or those who say, well, my kids are grown up or whatnot to, to zone out. Because as I mentioned, the same way that parents are called to instill wisdom in their kids is the same way that our Heavenly Father is trying to instill wisdom in us. And we need to know what God is doing. Cooperate with Him. Listen, because when we do, 
we more easily enter into becoming the kind of people that he wants us to be. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 20. We're going to turn to a couple of different passages in Proverbs. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 20, so if you'd open your Bibles there. But here's what we're going to look at, Proverbs 20, starting in verse 6. It says this. It says, Most men proclaim each his own faithfulness, but who can find a faithful man? The righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that we want to talk about this morning about um, what we want to give our kids as we help them increase and grow in wisdom. And the first is this, is to give your kids a model of godliness, to give them a model of godliness. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, If you're not aware of this, your kids are modeling everything that you do. I shared this story several months ago, but uh, when I get home from the office, one of the things that I do, because I usually get home uh, a little bit before dinner, is that um, I'll come home and I'll just have like a little something to eat when I get home. And uh, usually it's like, um, you know, a scoop of peanut butter because I have a little bit of a problem with peanut butter. Um, So I'll have like a scoop of peanut butter or um, I'll just have some cheese there and I'll just, you know, cut a few slices and, and I'll have a couple pieces of cheese. But what I do is, for whatever reason, I'll come in and because Carrie's kind of getting dinner ready, and so I'll just kind of lean up against the the uh, the counter, uh, up, up be, like right in front of where our sink is, and I'll just have my cheese, or I'll just have you know my scoop or two or three uh, or ten of peanut butter, and um, and so what'll happen is this: is that my daughter, if she sees me eating peanut butter, she says, "Puppy, I want peanut butter," and I say, "Okay," so I get her her Snoopy spoon because I'm using a regular spoon, so and I give her a scoop of peanut butter, and so we're both now leaning up against the wall like this. Eating our peanut butter, just talking about things, talking to my wife, Carrie, or, or talking to my son, you know, who's usually like on the counter in his little seat. And so we're talking, and then she'll ask for another scoop. Or if I'm eating, the, the funny part is when I, I'm eating a piece of cheese, is because I'll eat a piece of cheese, and then Mia will say that she wants cheese. And so I'll give her a piece of cheese, and I'm eating a couple pieces of cheese. And then she'll go to see her mom if her mom walks away, and she'll say, Mommy, your hand. And so she'll ask for her hand, and then she'll spit out the cheese because she doesn't really like cheese all that much. And so she'll give her mom the cheese that she's chewed on and then spits out. And then she comes back and she says, Papi, more cheese? And she'll take more cheese. And the whole reason is this, is that she simply just wants to, she's just modeling what she sees. And that's one of the most important roles that parents have is this idea of modeling. Listen, because parents are getting their cues from you and I as to what's right, what's wrong, what's acceptable or what's not. You see, they're also getting their cues as to what it means to follow Jesus. The passage that we read says that kids are blessed when they have godly parents. I want you to understand too, and this is an important thing to mention, it doesn't say that they have perfect parents. They don't have perfect parents. Instead, the blessing comes when they have godly parents, but the parents that are talked about here that blessed are, are, are these kids when they have godly parents is because their parents are the real deal. Because listen, any of us can come into this environment and fake it for an hour. Anybody can do that. But listen, your kids, they see what's really, what's really happening. They hear and see everything. Even the stuff that you don't think they hear and see, they're actually seeing or hearing. The, thing that you don't, the things you don't think they understand, they probably are understanding to more of a degree than we give them credit for. And here's the interesting part, is that they don't model what we tell them, they model what we show them. Now, I want you to think about that because that is just absolutely vital to understanding how we're, we're to raise our kids. They don't model what we tell them. They model what we show them. 
Because, listen, when we give kids the, you know, do as I say, not as I do talk, um, that doesn't really fly, and it just ends up frustrating kids. Like, that's what I do, but you don't do that. Well, the kids, they just don't buy it. And instead, here's what happens. All it does is end up frustrating kids. Um, let me read this to you in Ephesians chapter 6. It's, it's such an important verse. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, here's how parents provoke their kids a lot of time. I mean, we could spend all of our time talking about this, but we'll, we'll limit it to just one thing when it, in, in reference to this context about modeling um, godliness. Now, here's the deal. This is how parents tend to provoke their kids. They provoke them because they expect their kids to live by a biblical standard that they themselves will not live by. So if they're disobeying God, you give them the do as I say, not as I do. Listen, kids aren't going to buy that because they just see it as hypocrisy. And it's like, well, if you aren't going to do it, I'm not going to do it either. I mean, have you ever heard a parent, especially like, you know, if if parents are a little older and the kids are are teenagers or adults, and they'll say, you know, a parent will tell their kids the, um, you know, the Bible says honor your father and mother. That means you've got to do whatever I tell you to do. You know, that, that whole that whole deal. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about that in a second. But, um, you know, the truth is, if you've got to tell your kids that they have to honor you, there's already a problem. All right. Just, you know, that's that's part of it. But l- let me just tell you a- a- another thing, too, is um, if, if you if you want kids and this is as important, whether you're you have adult kids, whether you have teenagers, you know, tweens or, or you know, toddlers, all of it is is, is, is the case. And that is, listen, if you want your kids to honor you, you may want to write this down. If you want your kids to honor you, act honorably. Act honorably. That's what causes people to honor someone. You see, it frustrates a child when you provoke him or her, and then you lay the Bible guilt trip on them about, well, you've got to honor me and do whatever I tell you, and then somehow think that that's okay. Listen, honoring your parents does not give you a blank check to say or do whatever you want in their life. That's completely unacceptable. Listen, I, I watch, and, and like, there's a lot of talk today about how disrespectful kids and teenagers are to their parents, and I think that that's, much of that is true. But let me tell you about the part that doesn't get talked about, is how disrespectful parents are to their kids. Um, and that starts um, even at a young age. Like, you know, we disrespect, we dishonor kids by the things that we say to them, and then here's what we do in turn. We say, well, I disrespect you, but now I want you to respect and honor me. Listen, it's not the way that it works. It's not the way that it works. Somehow because we've got this, you know, honor your parents verse in our back pocket that we can always lay out as the trump card. Let me unpack that for just a second. Um, that term honor your parents, by the way, doesn't mean, you know, you've got to do, you know, um, you got to do whatever I say. That's not really what that term means. That, that, that term honor in Hebrew is, is the uh, Hebrew word kabod. Uh, by the way, it's also translated like when we talk about uh, in the Bible, the glory of God, it's the word kabod. Um, but it's a word that literally means weight. It's a, a, this, this word weight. So think about it. Uh, to honor your parents is really to ascribe a certain weight to their words, a certain weight to their presence, a certain weight to their person. And listen, so here's the question. Should kids honor their parents? Yes. But I want to talk to it from the parental perspective, and that is that parents should be honorable. In, in the sense of this, you know, how much weight should kids ascribe to the words that we speak to them? I mean, how much should they? I mean, are, are, are our words so wise that when we speak words to them, they say, man, I need to take that into consideration. 
If you have, you have grown kids, listen. How important is that, that kids listen because you have more experience than they do? If kids are teenagers or tweens or toddlers, listen, that do your words have weight because you're acting honorably? Or is what we say so foolish? Is what we say so biting? Is what we say um, so disrespectful at times to kids that they just simply say, well, I, I can't give this a lot of weight. In fact, I don't even give what my parents say a second thought. And listen, some of that might have to do with the child being disrespectful, but sometimes it has to do with the parent being dishonorable. So here's my counsel to every parent. My counsel to every parent is be wise. Follow Jesus so closely that when you speak to your kids, your words have so much weight that they cannot dismiss it. So give your kids a model of godliness. Let me give you a second one. Let's turn two pages over to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. I just want to read you this one verse. It says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now, if you pause there, let me give you this one. This is the second point, and that is give your kids consistent discipline. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about, um, you know, if you have grown-up kids, you're probably not going to go to their house and do that. But um, if you have young kids living in your home, um, to give your kids consistent discipline. Now, let me just tell you, I grew up in in a Cuban home. I've told you that. And um, so my most of my childhood memories involve getting hit with a chancleta regularly. All right? Now, here's the weird part, is that if, if chancleta throwing was like an Olympic sport, my mom would have the gold medal several years running. Um, because I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, now if you don't speak Spanish, for those of you that don't, um, a chancleta is just like a very, it's just a, um, a, a sandal. Um, but it's not just a regular sandal. Uh, a Cuban sandal, chancleta, is also, it has like boomerang capabilities. Because if, if I do something that offends my mom when I was a kid, and then, you know, she would get mad, start screaming and yelling, and I would run away, she could just take the chancleta, fling it, and as I was running away, hit me up the side of the head, even if I turned a corner, hit me on the head, and then that thing would come back and go, let that be a lesson to you. I'm telling you, I don't know how that works or anything, but it, it did. Um, but, and so, now here's, here's why I say, I say all of that, is because... Um, when I say the word discipline, that might be, might, might be what you're thinking of. But that's not what the Bible means when it uses the term discipline. Um, in, the Bible, in the Bible, discipline is a form of instruction. It's, it, discipline is always, a, is always a form of instruction. In fact, in that verse that we read, I'll read it to you again. It says this, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it from him. And so the the idea is this. Listen, the verse that we read, it states this, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Listen, kids are born naturally unwise. Why? Because kids are born selfish. They're born thinking that the world is all about them. And that's just an incredibly foolish way to view life. And so now what they have to do is we've got to teach them through what discipline is to show them something different as to what uh, what life really is all about and what discipline uh, and, and how discipline uh, can, can, can help them. Now, here's the thing that's, um, that's important because God calls parents to discipline kids. That's part of how we train kids to be wise. Now, having said that, um, the, part of the, the reason why this is so important 
And this is the thing that happens. And I talk to I talk to parents every week. And this is what I hear parents tell me sometimes. Like if I don't see their kids or I ask how the kids are doing and they're not there. And they'll say this. They'll say, well, you know, when my son turned 14, I told him that he can decide for himself if he wants to come to church or not. Or if he wants to sit in his underwear and play his Xbox 360. And I said, it's totally your decision. Well, here's the thing that, that's really important. The thing that's really important is, is that, and I want you to understand this and hear me very clearly, that's not parenting. That's not parenting. That is laziness. Parenting is, is using discipline to help kids. And you say, well, now you're going to define discipline according to the Bible, right? Because you said discipline like the other way isn't really what discipline is. I'm going to get to that in a second. So just kind of hold that little loop open for a minute if you would. But this is the thing that's so important. The thing that's so important is, is that, as I mentioned this, you say, well, I just let the kid decide for himself. That's not parenting. Parenting is helping to lead a child to make the right decision. And so, because if you want to, if we're going to go by that decision, why don't we go the whole way? We just say, you know, listen, I think you're old enough. You know, you're 14. If you don't want to go to high school anymore, then you just let me know. And you don't have to. And you can just sit in your underwear and play video games all day. So would you rather learn algebra or would you rather uh, play video games? You know, well, I'm, I can promise you most of, the, most of the teenagers that I talk to would would lean a little bit more towards video games than boring subjects that they're not really all that interested in. But see, this is the thing that's important. And, and, and if I can just say this as a sidebar, because sometimes when I talk about this, teenagers think like, well, you think the teenagers are dumb. I actually had uh, a teenager uh, come up to me and say, do you think the teenagers are dumb? And I said, no, that's a dumb question. I didn't say that. Um, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's just a joke. Um, but I, they said, do you think teenagers... Uh, but it really was a very sincere question. He said, do you think that teenagers are dumb? And I sat with him. This is after the second service, and we sat down here on the front row. And this is what I said to him. I said, actually, I, I don't think uh, teenagers are dumb. I said, but I will say this. I think at times teenagers are very foolish. And here's why. Because what a person who's a little bit older, you know, someone who's in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, what they have is a thing called life experience. And so even though emotionally they might feel one way, when you grow to a place of maturity, you're then able to say, I I know what I'm feeling, but I know that I need to do the right thing. I said, the thing that happens when you're a teenager is you have no life experience and all you have is what you're feeling. And rarely is, is it that when we make decisions just based on emotions that it actually works out well. In fact, when I make emotional and irrational decisions that usually doesn't work out well and that's why many that's why this passage is saying that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child but listen there's this idea of discipline and correction that drives it out of him and that's why the goal of parenting that's why god gives kids parents that's why uh the goal of parenting is to make is to cause kids to make wise choices, but to leave them to fend for themselves and say, well, you just decide to make a hugely important decision in their life, listen, is just not parenting. It, it isn't parenting, and it's not one of the tools that God has given to us. Now, you say, so I'm still kind of waiting for you to say, like, what this whole discipline thing is all about. Now, let me give you the, uh, that, this, this idea that this word discipline um, in the Bible uh, is the Hebrew word, and all throughout, whenever the Bible talks about discipline, we read it in uh, the, that Ephesians passage, that it's this Hebrew idea, that the, the Hebrew word is the word uh, musar, M-U-S-A-R, and, and the word musar is used throughout the Bible, and here's what it means. It means to teach or to coach. That there's this idea that discipline, the, the whole point of discipline is connected to instruction. And so we connect it to instruction, and this is the thing that's really, that's really, really important. We connect it to instruction for the very point of them being able to make the right decision 
so that when they are older, they will make the right choice. Now, a lot of people hear what the, the, you know, the, the rod of discipline, and they think that means like beating a kid with a stick. Um, and I'm telling you that and I, you hear the stories, you know, the, the rod of correction. And, um, you know, once again, the idea of that, it's a picture. The picture is of Musar, that Musar, that Hebrew word, means to coach kids, to, to, um, to teach kids. Is about helping them see the difference between right and wrong and helping them make the right choice so that they see a better way to live. Now, let me just say at this point that I do believe in corporal punishment. I do, I'm a, I do believe in spanking, um, and, and you can feel free to disagree with that if you want to. Um, but I, I, I would certainly agree that that's not the only way to discipline. Um, you know, now, here's what I mean. Many of you know this passage. If you're a parent, you've probably heard it before in Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it, right? Most of us know that passage. But the, the idea is this. The concept of training a child, uh, this is, once again, out of, this is what um, the, the, the rabbis used to, would teach, you know, millennia ago. Um, they would say this, that the, the concept of training a child carries the idea that the training should match the child. The discipline should match the child. And that is, you know, I mean, if you've been a parent and you've got, especially if you've got more than one child, you, you know this to be the case, is that, you know, for one, you know, when you discipline them, I mean, you've got to really discipline them and it's, you've got to spank them or whatever the case. There's, you may have another child that all you've got to do is look at him cross, you know, you just give him the, the, the look and the kid completely falls up. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and, it's like, and all you did was look at him. Why? And it's like, well, so what do you do? Well, once again, the training matches the child. The discipline matches the child. And once again, that's why kid, parents need to know their kids. Now, let me just say this. Um, be, let me just, can I, I'm going to sidebar for just one second. I think this is really important. Um, one of the reasons why this is so important, you know, the, the Jewish culture so understands this, I think, much better than we do. Um, because when, you have, when, in, in, in a, when a Jewish family has a child, everything is leading up to this moment. This moment that, that um, we call, uh, that in the Hebrew is called the, the bar mitzvah. And you say, well, what? The bar mitzvah is just a big party, right? Or it's like, oh, that's when a Jewish boy becomes a man. And he's like 13, 14 years old. But it's, it's actually something so much, you know, deeper than that. Um, the, the, the term bar mitzvah is a Hebrew word. Uh, the first word bar, uh, which means in Hebrew to be the son of. And so you'll see that in, uh, in, if you read the Gospels, that Jesus, when they say, who do men say that I am? Peter stands up and he says, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So he says, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. That was his dad's name. And so here's what happens. So this term bar means son of. And then you, there's the term mitzvot in Hebrew. The term mitzvot means commandment. So the mitzvah would be all of God's commandments, the 613 commandments given in the Old Testament. So when a child comes of age and the parents see that he's ready, here's what they do. They have this ceremony where now he becomes a son of the commandments, where he does this. He says, listen, my parents, I love you. And as I was as I was growing up, you were training me and I was under your covering. And the things that I did, uh, right or wrong, you were held responsible for. But now I've come to a certain age, and because of your training and correction and discipline in my life, I am now ready to step out from under that covering to be my own man. I'm ready to step out from under that covering to now become a son of the commandments. So now the commandments of God are not coming to me through you. The commandments of God I am now personally responsible before God for. 
See, that's why this, this ceremony is so huge and it's so important and it's so meaningful because it's a child who steps into now the light of saying that um, he says to mom and dad, he says, listen, I know that you have been the representation of God for me, but now you've trained me in such a way that now I'm ready to commit to living out the commandments of God for myself. That's what the, 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 the purpose of, and I know that it might not be completely um, used for that, and it might be in many families more ceremonial, but um, the, the, pro, the, pur, the purpose of uh, the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah for girls um, is the purpose of them saying, today I take on God's commandments as my own. Now, so how do you get there to where kids actually get that? Once again, it's because of this process of discipline. Now, this is why I think this is so important. As I mentioned, I said the purpose of discipline is instruction. So I'm going to give you six things about discipline that I think are important. You can, they're not in your notes. I just want you to write them somewhere in there. But I think that if you're going to discipline your kids, and you should, um, here's, I think, a few essentials, um, especially if you're going to go like the corporal punishment route. Here's, here's number one, that you never discipline in anger. Never discipline in anger. If, if something happens and you're just furious, then you have to walk away and then come back and deal with this because that is never the right frame of mind to discipline. Number two, that you never let it build up. You never let it build up. Listen, um, maybe you grew up in a home that was somewhat like mine, that, um, you know, you do something wrong and then your parents would let it go, and then you do something wrong and your parents would let it go, and do something wrong, your parents would let it go, and then you just kind of ask for something the wrong way, and then one of them just blows their top completely, and then the punishment never fits the crime. But see, they're not, like, disciplining you for this thing that you did. They're disciplining you for the last 20 things that you did. The problem is, is that you're 9 or 10, and you don't even remember what those last 20 things are, right? And listen, and here's the problem with that. The problem is, is that that's not real biblical discipline, because the whole purpose of discipline is instruction. And if you just let stuff build up, here's what's happening. You explode, and then these kids get, like, the beating of their life. Um, and, and here's, listen, it's, that is ungodliness, and it's sin. And we need to repent of that if we've been involved in it. Here's the third one, is that discipline should happen at the moment of disobedience. Listen, if your kids do something and they, they, are, they are disobedient and you need to discipline them, and it's something that's worthy of discipline, then you do it right then. And you tell them, like, this is why you're getting discipline at this very moment. Instead of, well, we'll just deal with it later, or we'll deal with it when your dad gets home or when your mom gets home. Listen, that's not acceptable. Because the point of discipline, and here you say, well, I get it. The point of discipline is instruction. We have to get that. The point of discipline is instruction. It's helping them realize that that was a poor choice that I made. And now I'm going to have this dealt with, and then we're going to move on. Uh, Number four is this, is that kids should be told why they were disciplined. They should be told why they were disciplined. And what the correct way to respond in that situation is. It's hugely important. That's why you don't wait, you know, three weeks to tell them, you know, well, the thing that you did that, you know, four Saturdays ago, that's why you're being disciplined. That doesn't help them. What helps them is they do something disobedient and you discipline them and say, listen, this is why you're being disobedient. This is the wrong way to do this. Now, let me just explain to you the right way to do this. And by the way, there's something else that happens here. Let me just say this as a sidebar, because if we kind of build it up, here's what we'll end up saying to our kids. It will end up saying to our kids is, you see, you're getting disciplined because you're bad. You don't want to say that to your kids, that you're bad. When you discipline them, when something happens, here's what you say. What you did was bad. And there's, that is two totally different things to say what you did was bad and that you are bad. So 
Let me give you um, n- number, number five here, and that is um, be, consi- be consistent. E- inconsistency does not train kids. Consistency trains kids. Um, there's, there's a family that's uh, a, a couple that's very dear to my wife and I. Um, in fact, um, this, the, the, the husband, um, he actually, he's a pastor. He did my wife and I's premarital counseling, so he's known Carrie and I ever since we were dating. And um, so he did, he did our premarital counseling, and we learned so much from him about marriage and parenting and, and all of that. And, and I remember um, being with, with them one night, and um, all four of their kids are now grown. They're all in their, in their uh, 20s. And, um, but I remember sitting with them one night, and, the, and they, she was telling us um, a story of their, their – uh, they have four kids. They have an oldest daughter, and then they have three boys. And their middle son was like, you know, the, the one – because you always have one that you – you know, but if you have more than one kid, there's like the one that's like – like if I, if I knew all my kids were going to be like this, I'd have ten more. And then, you know, you have the other one that's like, I, I love them so much, but they're, they're the ones that are making me stop having kids. Um, you know, there's, you know, you'd never say that out loud, but you think it, you know, you think it. Um, and so, well, this is the one that was like, you know, he's just so difficult. And this kid would just go out of his way to be disobedient. And, uh, and so, and I remember it was like, uh, uh, she's telling the story and she says he was about four years old. And uh, she says, and, and I had told him not to do this thing. I forget exactly what it was, but he just kept going back to doing it. And every time he did it, she would discipline him. Well, she's getting dinner ready and she's cutting up chicken. She's got like, you know, chicken all over her hands. She's got raw chicken on, uh, on the counter. Like, you know, it's like a salmonella party basically, you know, happening on the counter. She's cutting stuff up. And then he goes and does the thing that she kept telling him not to do. And she does it. He does it again. And it's like at that moment, and this is what she says to, to, to Carrie and I, and she says, I had to decide at that moment if I was going to be a consistent parent or not. And she says, I decided I, I kind of contained the, you know, raw chicken. And then um, I washed my hands and I went into his room and I disciplined him and I told him why he was being disciplined. And, um, and it was at that moment that, um, that he says, this little kid, four years old, and he says, Mommy, I need you to pray for me um, because I need to be better. And, and, you know, I need Jesus to come into my heart. And, uh, and I mean, she, she gets emotional when she tells us. I get emotional just hearing and telling the story, too. And she says, you know, I, I, I don't even know what would have happened um, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I wasn't consistent. And listen, be, and think about that wise decision to say, I can't do this on my At four years old, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus to come into my life um, to do it. Now, let me tell you the story. Like, let me tell you all the way, you know, because now I, I watch these kids, you know, when they were like 10 years old is when I got to know them. And now, you know, 10, 12 years later, um, you know, he, this kid is, is a really godly man, you know. I mean, he graduated from college. He's actually an agent with the FBI. You know, he's, like, he's doing, like, extremely well. And I'm telling you something, that he, this kid should go to bed thanking God that he had a godly mother and a godly father who said, you know what, I'm not just going to let him do whatever he wants, but instead I'm going to train this kid in the way he should go. And I'm going to be, um, even as challenging as it might be to be consistent, I'm going to do it. Let me give you number six. Number six is to hug your kids and tell them that you love them and that you forgive them. When you discipline in anger and then you spank them, listen, let's just, let's just call it what it is. You're mad and you're taking it out on them. And then when, after you take it out on them or you spank them or you do whatever it is that you're going to do, now you somehow or some way think you feel a little bit better. But guess what? That kid is now carrying that. 
If you're going to discipline your kids, let me just tell you, when it happens, you tell them why they're being disciplined, you discipline them, you're consistent about it, and then here's what you do. You hug them and you tell them that you love them and that you forgive them and that God loves them and forgives them and that they're part of your family and that you'll never stop loving them. Because the last thing that you want, and if you, if you d- discipline kids in anger and you neglect this part, your kids will walk around in guilt and in fear and carry that up and, th- up and through the time that they're adults. Listen, what you want to do is, you wanna, once you discipline a child, and this is the thing that's wonderful about discipline, is that once you discipline them and then you tell them that you love them and that you forgive them, now it's, it's done, it's over. Then the kid goes, goes back to being who he is and hopefully a little bit wiser from that experience. And that's why one of the most important things about parenting is just letting your kids know that you love them unconditionally. Um, There's this great passage in Proverbs 23. It says this. It says, The father of a righteous man has great joy, and he who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad, and may she who who gave you birth rejoice. You see, here's what your kids need to know from you. They need to know that you delight in them. That you delight in them that you're proud of them and that you love them. And listen, don't ever miss the opportunity to tell them that. Oh, well, I'm not the verbal type. You know, I I say I love you by putting a roof over their heads. You know, there's a word for that in Hebrew. It's called lame. All right? I'm going to write that down. Um, And here, listen, you need to tell them that you love them. You need to tell them that they did a great job. You need to tell them that, um, you know, whenever you can, however you can, as much as you can, because, listen, it's never enough. You give your kids a model of godliness. You give your kids consistent discipline. I want to tell you one more thing in the couple minutes we have. And if you would, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. And it might seem a little like, why does he mention that instead of something else? But I think that this is really an important point. Um, Let me read this to you. Let me give you the point because then the the actual verses will, will make sense. And the point is this, to give your kids parents who love each other. That's one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is, 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 is parents who love each other. Let me read you the passage. This is speaking to husbands. It says this. It says, Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Now, guys, this is a verse 19 is a great one to read to your wife. You know, honey, let's read verse 19 together. As a loving doe, let your breast satisfy me at all times. Anyway, so you can kind of go. You can feel free to use that later. Uh, Not now, later. Um, But here's the thing. Um, And and that's why it's so important. Give your 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 kids, parents who love each other. I've had a friend of mine ask me uh, a little while ago. They said, um, hey, what's the funnest part about kids? And I said, well, that's easy. The funnest part about kids is making them. But um, there's other things that are great about kids, too. And um, but but here's actually why I say that the greatest gift that you can give your child is the example of a mom and a dad who love each other. Because once again, as I mentioned, what they, mo- what they see is what they will model. If they see a mom and dad who love each other, they will think that that's the way that the world works. And that's the way, at least, that God's kingdom works and the way that it's supposed to work. 
And, and you know, the truth is, is that um, it provides a safe environment for kids. And, you know, every study under the sun that's been done shows that kids who come from a two-parent home do infinitely better in just about every field, school, you know, athletics, all of this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, and it does something just to, it creates a stability in, in a child's life. Um, my daughter, when she was a little younger, um, used to have this song that she would that she would sing, um, but that it would just went like this. It just went, uh, "Mommy, Poppy, Mia, Happy Family." You know, that was it. That was that was the whole song. And so she would just sing it over and over. And then she would come, and we all three of us would hug. You know, I mean, because that's what she wanted. And then, um, you know, we'd give her kisses on each cheek, as we called that a besito sandwich. Is that when Carrie and I are both kissing her uh, on each cheek? And and so you know, but listen, that's like her favorite thing in the world is when we're all together. And, um, you know, even more than environment and all that stuff, listen, your kids need to know to what a loving, God, godly relationship looks like. And that happens, listen, and this is, the, this is the thing that's probably maybe the more challenging part. The way that that happens is by recognizing, and, and you and your wife, you and your husband, under, having the understanding that the most important relationship in your home is your relationship as, as, as husband and wife or as wife um, and husband. And this is the thing that I see happen sometimes. And, and honestly, it's a, it's a tragedy to me. And the tragedy is this, is that I see a couple, they have a baby, and the baby becomes their whole world. And then the child grows up and everything is about them. And then eventually that child, like, has a life. You know, like, they go to college, they, you know, start their career, they get married. And then, listen... Parents, and especially moms, are devastated. And listen, kids leave. That's the way the world works. And so, um, you know, that's God's design. Listen, my kids, whom I, I love more than anything, those kids are going to grow up and leave someday. And as much as, you know, I can fight it or I can tell my daughter that, you know, she's not allowed to shave her legs till she's 30, you know, I can do all of that, you know, and... I tell her that any guy that you bring home, I'm going to run a credit check on him and a bunch of other things. Um, you know, I do all that. But listen, the truth is, is that eventually they're going to grow up and they're going to leave. And it's just going to be, and it's going to be my wife and I. And the, and the same thing is true with you. And the truth of the matter is, and that's why the most important relationship is the relationship that you have with your spouse. And that's why, listen, the greatest thing that you can do, once again, you teach, you're teaching kids how to love you're teaching kids how, what, what, a, what, a, what a godly family looks like. And the best thing you can do for that, for them, is to invest in your marriage relationship so that they can see what a real relationship looks like. Now, I want to just, uh, um, I want to give you kind of like a big picture perspective here in the last two minutes that we have. And, here, and here's the thing. I want to show you, because maybe you're like me, you come from a divorced home. Maybe you come from, you come from like a multiple divorced home. Um, and, uh, you know, which, you know, is always kind of weird explaining, like, how are you related? Well, one of my parents was married to this person, and then they weren't married, and then they got this other person married. And then so it's kind of like this really weird, like, Tetris kind of looking thing in my family tree. And, and so, but here's the thing, is maybe that you've never had an example of that. Can I just share something with you? Is that in the person of Jesus, we see these principles modeled perfectly. You want to see someone who honored his father? Uh, you know, just showed us the right way to honor your, your, you know, honor your parents. Here's what he did. 
As far in, in a parent who acts honorably, God the Father acting honorably. Listen to John 8. He says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, and then you will know that I am the one who, who I claim to be and do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father taught me. The one who sent me is with me and has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. I always do what pleases him. His Father is honorable, and so he acts honorably. God the Father shows us the purpose of discipline as a father in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we had father, uh, human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a good while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God shows us what unconditional love is when he says this to Israel. He says, long ago, I said, uh, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And then the father shows us the model of what it means to delight in your kids. At the baptism of Jesus, it says this in Matthew chapter three, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting, uh, uh, lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen, if you don't have kids or you don't have parents, can I just share this with you? God is parenting you. God is parenting me. God is parenting us. And that's why it's so important. Because when you don't realize that there's a God in heaven who loves you and that wants to parent you, listen, life feels completely random. But when you realize that God is seeking to make you wise, then everything begins to come into focus. When you realize that everything is God seeking to make you wise by seeking for you to become more like the person of Jesus, life comes into focus. That listen, no matter where we are or where we might be, listen, God is parenting you and me. Let's pray. And Lord, we do want to thank you and praise you for the fact that you are our father, that you are parenting us and you are leading us to become people of wisdom, people who reflect your son, Jesus, and what we say and what we do. And Lord, I just pray, I pray for every parent here. And I ask that you would give us wisdom beyond our years to know how to raise such precious gifts as the kids that you've given to us. For, Lord, we recognize that these kids belong to you and that they're simply on loan to us for however long you let us have them. So, God, help us to experience and know your leading as you parent us and that we might instill that kind of wisdom into the kids you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name, amen.